Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. If you're faced with, we want to make our experience easy, then the first question for me is, which experience or what part of the experience and the way that you should choose that is you should choose the experience that is going to drive most value to you. That's the approach that we as human beings take to cognitive effort. We want to save it up. We, want to, we don't want to expend it too loosely just in case we need it later for things like getting food. And a way of you getting differentiation, a way of you being more distinct to your customers, a way of adding value, can be looking at things laterally and thinking about how you can actually change things. Just as a quick reminder before we start the show, if you want to share the key takeaways and the recommended actions with other people in your team that we talk about on this podcast, then simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. Now on with the show. So what really annoys me, Ryan, is when I go into an organization and they turn around to me and they say, we want to delight our customers at every moment of contact. And I sort of nod and go, how in the hell can you afford to do that? Is this just a a British gloominess thing where you don't like (laughs) delight? Well, I mean, it's it's a lofty goal, but can you imagine exceeding your customers' expectations, delighting your customers at every moment of contact? Honestly, it sounds exhausting from the customer standpoint. Like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm here to buy some paper towels. Can you lay off with the delight for just a minute? Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, and just, I mean, from a business perspective, the cost of it, okay? Anyway, the long and short of it is this leads us on to talk about a customer effort now where's the connection well the connection is that uh, when i started to look into there's a thing called a customer effort score i'm not sure if you you know about it but there's a correlation and it also comes from the from an hbr article and there's a correlation between the amount of effort a customer puts in and basically value okay but i guess to a certain extent a bit of a no brainer which is if you make something hard and complicated Customers don't have a good time and therefore won't buy from you that regularly. But this actually came from a a really good article, which was by Matthew Dixon, Karen Freeman, and Nicholas Toman. And we'll put a link in the podcast summary. And it was called Stop Trying to Delight Your Customers. And basically, the whole premise was around this bit about customer effort, okay, which is if you make things hard for your customers to do, then clearly you're not going to gain much business. And this ended up becoming what's called the customer effort score. 
Now, for those of you that haven't heard about a customer effort score, sort of similar lines to the net promoter score, there is a question that is suggested that you use, which is effectively on a scale of easy to very difficult, how easy was it for you to interact with company XYZ? Okay. And depending on the answer, depends on how difficult your experience is. And if it's bad experience, takes a lot of effort, then clearly you're not going to get much business and vice versa. And one of the companies I would have thought that would do well in this score is someone like Amazon, which is it's very simple just to order things. So I want to talk a bit about effort today. Now, you and I have come down on both sides of the effort debate in our various podcasts episodes don't tell people that so <laughs> my goal is to delight our listeners at every moment Colin. Yeah. are you trying to suggest to people that we sit on the fence no not at all because we if people who have listened to those episodes and if they haven't they can <laughs> we don't waffle we we recognize the boundaries around those ideas and argue for when each is appropriate Do you want to explain those differences and why we spoke for it and spoke against it? The major takeaway is we argued first in favor of the importance of things being easy. So from almost a a biological or evolutionary psychology perspective, just we have this imperative where we want to conserve resources, and and that includes cognitive resources and effort. So it's important to make things easy. That's the general rule. And that's where we're landing at today as well. When we talk about this, you want to make things easy. Where we added a a little refinement on that or a twist is that there are very specific cases where more customer effort can provide some benefits to the customer as well. So this is a question of general rule and narrow exceptions instead of you and I not being able to form an opinion or wanting to have both sides of, of an issue. Yeah, no, certainly one of the biggest aha moments for me has been as I've gone down this journey of behavioral economics is the realization that when we talk about effort, and some people talk today about friction, which is the same thing, really, what we're really talking about is, are we forcing customers to think about something? When I say the word think, I'm then actually referring to what we talked about in our book, which is rational thinking. So these two ways that we make decisions and process data, one is intuitively, we do things intuitively. So we make intuitive decisions, which is easy for us to do. And the other one is where we have to think about how to do something, which is more on this rational system. And the aha moment for me was going, Yeah, totally makes sense because what we want is we want things that are intuitive so they're easy, so we don't have to use resources. In other words, we don't have to think about it because actually if you went back 500 years, 100 years, 50 years in some countries, maybe even now today actually, food and sustenance is difficult to obtain and therefore humans have been designed to, I'm trying not to get religious, I was just about to say created, maybe even that's wrong. If evolved is a is the word I was actually looking for. Humans have evolved into creating ways of conserving energy. 
and intuitive rational is one of them and the other one that we did a podcast a little while ago on habits now professor tell me if i said anything wrong then oh i've long since given up on correcting everything <laughs> we'll just we'll clean it up in post no that was that was right right i mean it, and it is it's it's a, a really useful perspective for looking at people there was some psychologists who, who called us cognitive misers that's what she's they said that People are cognitive misers, and, and that it's a great image, right? You can imagine Scrooge McDuck like clutching at his little gold coins and not wanting to give any of them up. That's the approach that we as human beings take to cognitive effort. We want to save it up. We want to. We don't want to expend it too loosely, just in case we need it later for things like getting food uh, or, or escaping from a predator. And this perspective has served us well as a species for tens of thousands of years. So we need to kind of incorporate that into our naive models of the way people will react to things. Yeah, and that's where the habits bit falls in. So we create habits so we don't have to think about doing things. That's right. Habits are tremendous effort savers. Yeah. So if you think about the one, the example I always like is you drive home at night from work and you walk in your front door and you think to yourself, I don't remember pulling off the freeway. I don't remember driving past wherever. And you've therefore been driven home effectively. All of those things have been doing under automatic pilot. Whereas back in the day when you learned how to drive, you had to really think about it and it would be very tiring to to do that. So all of that is happening underneath. So what's all of that got to do with where we are today? Well, I, I think that where we are today is we know that we want to have a effortless experience. We want to have an experience that spends the least amount, customers spend the least amount of energy, or again, put it in the new parlance, friction, least amount of friction. But let's just take a bit of a detour for a moment, because let's talk about in those cases where friction can be good, okay? and can actually sort of improve an experience. And an example I, I was thinking prior to the podcast was American Express Centurion card. Have you heard of the American Express Centurion card? I have, yes. Do you have an American <laughs> Express Centurion card? I've got terrible credit, Colin. So now <laughs> I, am, I am a huge credit risk. Bankers have staked off my property and won't come close to it. Uh, yeah, no, I wasn't actually talking about it from a, a credit checking perspective, but thanks for sharing that with us. Oh, I also have very low status. I don't know which direction you want to go with it, but any criteria in you. <laughs> no, I have an American Express card and I love it, but I don't have a Centurion card. All right. Let it be said straight away, I don't have one either. Okay. <laughs> Neither of us has any status or any respect from anything. We're the Rodney Dangerfield of marketing podcasts. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. To get an American Express Centurion card, you cannot apply for one. You are not gifted one, but you are offered one, okay? And you're offered one when you spend an enormous amount of money, basically. So if you're putting a lot of money through on your credit card each month, then eventually they will offer you an American Express Centurion card. So I guess the point I'm trying to get to is... That's putting a lot of obstacles in the way. That's not frictionless. <laughs> that causes a lot of effort. 
But one of the key things that they get other than lots of benefits, and you can Google what the benefits are, but one of the key benefits is it's a black card. I think they make it out of titanium or something stupid. And when you pay for it, it doesn't physically say this, but the, the status says this, is I've got a lot of money, effectively. Yeah, It would actually be interesting, wouldn't it, if you pulled it out your wallet and it actually said, I've got a lot of money. <laughs> Colin Jaw, you have a lot of money. And you I had a lot of money. Thunk <laughs> it onto the table and it has a little clink because it's made out of metal. Yeah, no, this is good. American Express, if you're listening. But that's not frictionless. Oh, we're going to get back around to the point of what we started talking about, are we? All right, fine. Oh, we are. We are just about to. Yeah, I'm just about to go full loop because I've talked about the HBR article and stop trying to delight your customers. There were five principles that were written in that article, which were about how to reduce customer effort. And I would like to add a couple to those. Let me run through the five and let's comment on these just as we go. So first one is, okay, let me put this into context for people. If you want to make your customer experience easy, if you want to make it effortless, if you want to make it frictionless, then here are the five things to do. And this is from the article. Don't just resolve the current issue, head off the next one, which I think is a really good one. Yeah. Don't just think about solving the immediate problem. And this is where things like average call handling time in a contact center causes problems. If you're forcing customers off the phone, guess what? They're going to phone back. That's not easy. Okay. So, Don't just resolve the current issue, head off the next one. The second one in the article was arm reps to address the emotional side of customer interactions, okay? And I thought it was really interesting that something like, and this is from the article again, 24% of repeat calls in our study stem from emotional disconnection between customers and representatives, okay? So I think people have heard me talk about in the past some work we did with an insurance company where we literally changed one word that an agent was saying. I'm not going to bore everybody with the total story, but effectively what was happening was people were phoning into a call center and the agent was saying to them, and this is for an insurance company, your policy document should be with you within a few working days, five working days. And 76% of people were phoning back after that interaction, and that was causing a great amount of additional costs. We looked at it and we changed one word. We changed it from rather than should to will. So your policy documents will be with you within five working days. And the the number of recalls that went back reduced from 76% down to 6%. And that, for me, absolutely epitomizes this one. So arm the reps to address the emotional side of those customer interactions. The reason people were phoning back was because they felt they didn't know when to expect their policy documents. So I think that's a really good one as well. Yeah, I like that. How are you going to grow your market when everyone is competing on the same things? What are your customers' unmet needs in your market? What drives and destroys most value for you? And what are you going to do first? Since 2005, we've been helping organizations answer these questions. Our unique discovery tool, the Emotional Signature, will change the way that you look at your market. 
Let's have an informal conversation on how we may be able to help you. To set this up, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. And we look forward to talking to you. Number three, minimize channel switching by increasing self-service channel stickiness. Okay. So minimize channel switching by increasing self-service channel stickiness. And I think, again, the interesting bit here for me, Ryan, is we train customers, okay? Now, what I mean by that is, or maybe I should say, actually, organizations train customers. So it's a bit like going down your grocery store and you know where everything is in the grocery store and therefore you can go to all the different parts to get things. And then when they change the layout of the grocery store, suddenly it's a major issue, yeah? Well, when people go and buy things on your website, you're effectively training customers on how to do things. So there's a music website that I use. I'm learning to play the guitar, and I've been trying to sort of download some music. And this website is a bit clunky, and I've learned that if I want to search for a piece of music to download for me to be able to try to play, I emphasize the word try, then I've got to go to this weird place. But I've learned that now, okay? It's not intuitive. It's not natural. But because I've made mistakes in trying to find it before, I now know where it is. So we do train customers on how to do things as well as part of all of this. I order airline tickets through Delta's website primarily fly delta out of atlanta and they changed their website design and you know i hope it was based on some research that made it easier for most people but for me who'd been using the website for a long time those changes were really inconvenient because of exactly the issue that you you said we do we train our customers to interface with our systems and so are we giving thought a are we designing those in the first place so that they are frictionless as possible And then also any changes that we make, realize that those are disruptions. And so are the net benefits to our most valuable customers going to be worth the hassle changes to them? And sometimes they will be, but I worry that it's not considered. Yeah. And I think the other thing is thinking about it. I think some of the good practice is that when they make changes to apps on your phone, then they do come and say, do you want a a virtual tour of how to do things as it were and i think that's really that's really good because we've changed the app etc etc and i think in a past podcast we've talked about have we ever talked about apple i can't remember apple like like honeycrisp like (laughs) granny smith so i remember telling you about the fact that if you change from microsoft if you change from a, a pc to a mac then if you go onto the apple website there's videos there of how to do the same equivalent things in a Mac as you would do on a PC. And maybe that's something Delta should think about for their website, actually. Yeah, yeah. recognizing those friction points and, and getting ahead of them. That's kind of the first point that, that was raised. That's a good point. So I guess the key point coming out of this is you need to think about how the customer will perceive those changes and and recognize the fact that you've trained them. Number four was, out of the five, use feedback from disgruntled or struggling customers to reduce customer effort, which I hope is a no-brainer. But I tell you what, I was even talking to a potential client last week who'd been in business for 50 years 
And they told me that they didn't have any form of customer feedback, which I found amazing. But there you go. They're not the only ones, unfortunately, out there. Number five, empower the front line to deliver a low effort experience. Now, the way I would interpret this is I think they should actually stop at empower the front line. <laughs> yeah, full stop. Yeah. Because typically what happens is policies get in the way. And if you have a policy, you can only give out a certain amount of money or whatever it may be. And you again start to put in obstacles for customers. They have to phone you back, et cetera. I always remember talking to, I was seeing a, I think it was a, a vice president of customer service and they were late to a meeting with me. Uh, and they came in about 10 or 15 minutes late to the to this meeting and they, they said, oh, really sorry, um, not on time. We've just been dealing with a customer issue. So I asked, well, you know, what was that about? Basically, they started to articulate all the problems that this customer had had. And this was like an escalation meeting. And it turned out they had like 12 senior managers sat around the table to talk about this customer claim for $2,000 or something like that. And I said to them, <laughs> the meeting that you had probably cost more than $2,000, let alone everything else that you forced the customer through and all the processes and all the interactions that the organization has had. Sometimes you're just better off letting the, the front line make a choice. And this goes to Ritz-Colton. They authorize each of their employees to spend up to $2,500 on any customer issue. Now, they don't say if a customer's got a problem with they can't open their door properly, give them $2,500. They uh, ask them to obviously use their heads because the employees are making those types of choices in their business or in their home lives every day, you know, and what, what to spend money on so they're not stupid. But the point is you're empowering your front line to make a decision for the customer and that will make it easy. And if it makes it easy and effortless and less friction, then that provides a better experience. So that's the five, but there's a couple more that I would add to the list. What I would add is think about the interactions with the customers that drive the most value for you. So if you're faced with we want to make our experience easy, then the first question for me is, well, which experience or what part of the experience? And the way that you should choose that is you should choose the experience that is going to drive most value to you. Or what is an unmet need in your industry? Is there something that by making this part of your experience easy, that's something that nobody else in your industry can do. And therefore, that gives you a competitive advantage. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. Maybe this is one that you're coming up with later too, but also asking, why is it hard now, right? So in terms of making things easier, not just which experience, but then also, what are the problems that customers are having? The reason that I like the way you started this was with that easiness score. There are two ways of measuring difficulty. And one is, I put it in quotes, but kind of an objective assessment. So, you know, you, you go through and you map out the steps that customers are taking and you look for ways of, of eliminating those steps and estimating the time at each step and all that kind of thing. And the other is subjective, which is what this measure does. 
those things we hope will generally go in the same direction, but there are instances where objectively improving things won't improve the subjective experience. People won't notice or they won't care. And, you know, there are even rare cases where it'll make it worse. So having both of these approaches, I think, is nice and complementary. Good. And just at this point, uh, before I go on and just uh, go through the last one, let me remind people that if you want to see this list, if you want to download what we call a podcast summary, which is effectively a document that outlines the key takeaways and the recommended actions, you can get that by just going to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary, beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That was actually suggested to us by one of our listeners who found it difficult to take notes when they were traveling and uh, laying in the bath or whatever it may be. So maybe this is number four, using feedback in fact, they weren't disgruntled. They just said, this is a good idea. Why don't you try and do this? And I have to say, we've become really popular. So just a reminder to people to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary and download that if you want to, if that helps. So what you're saying is we listen to customers when they give us feedback and act on it. Is that what you're saying? To make it easier? We do every, every 10th time. <laughs> it just happened that this person was lucky. <laughs> Yes, we do. So if you've got any suggestions on how we can um, improve and the things that you like and you dislike, then please let us know. And whilst we're talking about that, just drop us an email at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. So last one I'm going to throw in here. And you'll know that we had a really good interview with Rory Sutherland a little while ago. And if you haven't listened to that, then we actually broke it down into two parts, but to go and listen to it. One of Rory's rules from his book, Alchemy, was it doesn't pay to be logical if everybody else is being logical. And I think that applies here. Okay. So just because everybody in your industry is doing it in a certain way, doesn't mean to say that it has to be done that way. And a way of you getting differentiation, a way of you being more distinct to your customers, a way of adding value, can be looking at things laterally and thinking about how you can actually change things. And and again, one thing that Rory also talks about in his book is try some experiments. This is not you're having to change the way that every customer deals with you and you don't know whether it's going to work or not, just try some stuff and see what works because it's surprising how small changes will be able to make things much easier. And dare I say, having somebody like our good selves to come in and to look at what you're doing as well really helps. We've worked in many different industries. One thing that we typically get asked, we're working in the pharmaceutical industry, they say, have you worked in pharmaceuticals? Because they want you to understand the industry, which is understandable, but that has limitations. And the limitations are that if all you've done is worked in pharma, then you're just going to get the pharma ideas. I think one of the advantages that you should look out for is organisations that have worked across the piece because you can bring in other ideas from from other industries
Okay, so key recommendations then, Ryan. What recommendations would you come up with from this this conversation today? I want to go back to the title of the the HBR article that you referenced. I, I don't want to get it wrong. But was, was it Don't Delight Your Customers? It is Stop Trying to Delight Your Customers. So what I like about, I mean, it's a very evocative title, especially for an HBR article. Provocative, I should say. What I like about it, though, is if you go through that list and, and we can add your items onto it, if you do all those things, there's a good chance your customers will be very happy, perhaps even delighted. I think that the reason it's good advice to tell people to stop trying to delight their customers is it focuses people on the wrong issues, right? So, oh, let's delight our customers. All right, let's give them candy as they check in. Right? Like let's, let's, let's brighten up this space so that they're happier. Let's, make, let's train our customers to smile more. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but if it's a, a really heavy friction interaction and it's really effortful and it's really taking a lot out of your customers to interact with you and then you give them candy, you're missing the point. So I dare say that that if we do all the things that are in these lists, if we re- reduce friction generally, if we make things easy and we respect our customers' time and effort, because a lot of times that's really what's at stake when we make things hard on our customers. It, it can be interpreted as an issue of respect and not understanding them. And we get into these emotional problems um, that we've mentioned. They'll end up delighted, but they're delighted because you've done something important to them instead of patting them on the head and handing them some hard candy when they come through the door. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that's a really good point. And for me, the the key here is some types of friction help, but to be honest with you, it's like 5%, 10%. Yes, you're right. The, the general rule is make things easy. We're not trying to split hairs here. You can go back and listen to the other podcast episode where we talk about when friction is good. It's rare. This is the rule. The other thing is, I would say, with the things like the customer effort score, they're good measures to have in a group of measures. So like Net Promoter, this is not the be-all and end-all to life, the universe, and everything, okay? There should be a mixture of measures in there. But measuring how easy your experience is, how effortless your experience is, I think is important. The other part of it is that I was really pleased to see that they recognize that there is an emotional side to customer's interaction. So their second principle, arm reps to address the emotional side of customer interactions. And that whole story that I mentioned around should and will, okay, on the difference between should and will. You've really got to start thinking about customers' emotionals experience and start to think about how you can plan for that and start to think about how do you train people on understanding how customers are feeling so you can stop that next call that's coming in okay because customers don't want to make that next call you don't want to get that next call you want everything dealt with in one call and you want customers to be happy which guess what it's an emotion so we hope that's been of use to you today Please remember, if you want to download the podcast summary, then just simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's uh, beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much.
This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.